This is Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today, your host is Oji Guretsian. She'll be speaking with Andrew Castro, a professional singer-songwriter turned author. He's recently written a book, Overcoming Your Anxiety for People on the Go. Thank you, Andrew, for coming in today. Welcome to the show. Can you tell us about yourself and why you wrote this book? Yeah, so um, for me, the book wasn't planned. I kind of um, just spontaneously decided that I had all this information in my head and I wanted to sit down and uh, write it. And for me, it was just years of personal experience with the content that's in the book. And so I just kind of felt like a, I don't know, like a gut feeling that I needed to sit down and just put it out. So I just sat down on my computer and wrote it. And um, I, I'd struggled with anxiety and stuff, but it didn't really become like a problem for me until um, until I was about 25 or so. And I'm 33 now. It was just kind of built, kind of like uh, happens for a lot of people, like a hidden uh, layer that you just think is kind of who you are. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of explodes just from too much buildup. And that was kind of what happened with me. And um, I went through years of it. It was pretty debilitating stuff. And then um, then I kind of got over it, but I went back in the same patterns. And then I uh, had another bout with it again for a couple of years. And then I decided that, um, you know, it's time to make an actual change, not just, oh, let's see if I can fix this a little bit, but go back to what I was doing. So I had to really change my entire life patterns. And all along the way, I've been a professional musician, too. And that lifestyle doesn't always give the best results for uh, not having anxiety, you know, because you're constantly not knowing where you're going to be next kind of thing. So, but yeah, so the book just kind of came out and it didn't take that long to write. Uh, it's short, but I outlined it for a couple of weeks and then it took about two months on and off to write it. How do you define anxiety? I wouldn't put any single definition on it because there's so many different variations of it. People have social anxieties. Um, in a simple term, for, for me, it's just overwhelming. I think that would be the best way to describe it. It's just an overwhelming feeling. But there's, you know, social anxiety people who, like I have a friend who has social anxiety. He has more panic and, and I have more generalized anxiety. But it's all comes down to just being very overwhelmed by whatever uh, situation you're in with that anxiety. I have small social anxieties, like most people do, but nothing that's overwhelming for me. But, um, you know, for him... Social anxiety is overwhelming, like uh, interacting with new people or being in group settings. It, it just, and I don't feel that, but I can understand what he's going through because I think the general um, feeling of anxiety is pretty, pretty close to the same. Just depends. Some people have it in this situation and some people have it in that. So for me, I would say it's over, just overwhelming sensations and uh, thoughts and they kind of just uh, cycle and go back and forth with each other. It sounds like it's very common. That's the biggest thing I think I try to come across within the book is that you're not alone. That's the thing that people seem to struggle with the most is when they get these feelings. You can't feel what somebody else is feeling. So you don't know that the things you're feeling aren't just you going crazy, that they're actually like a pretty common thing. And I don't usually use stats much, but like there is one that always stuck out was that there's um, about 40 million people in the United States alone that suffer in their life with some sort of anxiety disorder, which is an enormous amount of people. And those are just the people that are telling the truth. You know, there's probably some that are hiding it or <laughs> don't want to talk about it. I think in some way, almost every human in their life goes through some form and some get caught in it more and it lasts for a very long time. And, and some, some don't, some just have a um, easier time letting go of things. For me, it wasn't like that. I just got caught in a cycle. Habits are, are a big thing. But um, yeah, people aren't alone. And when that's the first thing I, that I realized when I started reading other books and other people's blogs and stuff. And I was like, it made you feel a little like, oh, there's other people with this. You take a deep breath. And then a lot of them have gone through it. And they're like, oh, yeah, the anxiety doesn't really bother me anymore. 
And so you go, okay, how'd you do that? And then you start to learn. I try to tell people to educate themselves as much as possible. Understanding something is the first step to getting over it. I think I compared it in the book to when you have your uh, cell phone and they put like new software on it and you go, you don't know what the heck's going on. You know, the apps change, you don't know what you're doing and you get frustrated. But the more you do that, you're not going to learn anything. So if you just take 15 minutes and start to learn, okay, and then it's like, oh, this is actually better. And then you start to learn the phone. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, I just, you know, take the time to learn it. And you're not afraid of using your phone anymore. Like, I mean, in, in with anxiety, you probably have to take a few months or even a year. But if you learn about it, it diminishes the fear that you have over it. Take us through the process. How does anxiety start and how does it grow? For everybody, it's different. So I'll, I'll speak for me. It definitely started uh, when I was a young. So I talk in the book about um, this thing called the snowball effect. And it's... Uh, it's a pretty common thing that people use for a ton of things, but I thought it applied well to this. I think you kind of have a point in your life where things start to happen and you can go this way or that way, you know, and uh, I chose this way, whatever that way is. And when I was young, I had this memory of being at a drive-in movies with my parents. And I remember just, I was probably like four or five, and I just started like crying because I had these overwhelming thoughts that my parents were going to die someday. And I was really young, but then the feeling was I remember that I couldn't control that was going to happen. And that, for me, was like a big thing throughout my whole life is not being able to control things around me that are uncontrollable. And then I don't like that. And then, you know, you worry about those things, even though it's impossible to stop those things from happening. But I did that from a young age. And you just don't know. You're unconsciously. You don't know what you're doing to yourself. So for me, it started like that when I was really young. And then I went down that way. And I would just constantly worry about things over and over and the same patterns and just after years of doing that, it just ballooned, snowballed, and then the best way to put it is it explodes. When I was in my 20s, I mean, I like to go out and my friends and drink, and that doesn't help somebody who's already sensitive to anxiety. So then, uh, yeah, just it just kind of exploded. So that snowball just builds, and you don't know it's building, and the only way to stop it from building is to change, and that's very hard. But uh, if you don't change, you know, it's like that um, Einstein quote, paraphrasing it, but the definition of insanity is just doing the same things over and over. So a lot of people want to not feel what they feel, but they're not yet willing to change uh, what they're doing. But that's not their fault, really. It's just kind of a symptom of anxiety. They're afraid to do it. But uh, when you get there and you start the process, it's, it's well worth it. There are a lot of self-help books out there about anxiety. What makes overcoming anxiety for people on the go unique? So I definitely um, took the, uh, a couple examples from a couple books that I loved. And I think what makes my book and those books unique is that there's no, um, it's not about tricks and gimmicks, you know, oh, pinch this nerve or, you know, take 10 deep breaths. Oh, use this essential oil and that. And those are fine. Like, I'm not knocking those. Those are good, but they're all temporary things that are very um, impermanent, uh, simple things that will help you in this moment. And my book is more about um, the long haul. So it's about the process of changing your perspective on um, your thoughts and your sensations and all that stuff. And I think a lot of books out there, nowadays are doing that more 10 years ago or so or more it was just it was about the gimmicks and tricks but we've learned so much about uh your, your mind and you know and the sensations and your awareness that the way to get through anxiety is um acceptance and being aware of it instead of just reacting to it I've had people interview me before and they always they go well so what are some tricks and tips on how to get and i was like well, i i mean i don't really want to give those because that's not what it's about i've done those before and they they will um they kind of will help you know breathing obviously help it does help but it, it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything tomorrow or the next day so you got to learn to uh just see things differently and it takes a long time but everybody's process is different some person can get over it in two months some 
two years, five years. It's all different. Everybody's different in that way. Yeah, so I think it's unique in just that it doesn't, there's no tricks or gimmicks. It's just that everything in there is about how to take big steps to getting, or little steps to how, wherever you want to be. I found it to be engaging, humorous, and a very quick read. Yeah. Why only 80 pages? Uh, because I think I just wanted to engage people. And I don't, I don't like long books. When I get a book that's like 400 pages, I just, it looks like a daunting task. So when I see a book um, that's short, but I packed a lot of content in it, in just, you know, 80 whatever pages it is, um, I wanted it to be a book that people could read in a sitting or two, two sittings, three sittings. And then it's just something you can take with you and you can just, just reference it. And it's small, so you can carry it yeah. in your... That was the whole idea. Purse or backpack yeah. or satchel. Right, and that's what I wanted to be something, um, uh, like you said, in a purse or a backpack or whatever. And um, nowadays, too, people don't have attention spans either, you know, so keep it short. And people love that. Oh, I read your book in like two sittings. I'm going to go back and reread some stuff. And so that, the whole idea of keeping it short and carrying it with you, people are saying that they're doing that. So That's great. So you've been getting positive feedback so far. Yeah, um, it's been it's been great, and it's a little overwhelming sometimes, like because I'm not a doctor or you know a psychiatrist or, any, or a therapist, whatever, and uh, sometimes I don't feel totally qualified. But I'm not I'm not giving anybody advice for like this is what you need to do. I'm just telling them here's what I did, and if yeah, if you can um, try that and it works, then great. If it doesn't, then you know. But I try to encourage them to read other books, and if they're not going to therapy, they probably should i think everybody should go to therapy like the whole world <laughs> everybody should have some sort of therapist at some time we're all the walking wounded yeah exactly everybody everybody has you know their their things and um but i have given people advice but i try to do it from my own experience kind of like the book uh, i stick to that because i don't want to tell somebody that they need to do something for them because i can get in trouble with that especially if they do something and like it doesn't work or they hurt themselves or something and i don't want it so i just tell them here's what worked for me and um but yeah, and so it's, a lot of people have messaged me and told me that um, they're implementing a lot of things I said and that it's helping little by little, you know. The biggest thing I try to tell them is to be um, be patient. That's the hardest part. It takes a lot of a lot of courage and a lot of um, willpower because sometimes I'll have really bad uh, adrenaline just pumping through my body and you just have to sit there and just watch TV or read your book or just sit through it because if you start fighting it, it just gets worse and the cycle continues. And I knew that I had to just be like, okay, come on in and just let's just have it out. And then you sit there and sometimes it lasts for hours. It's draining and you want to quit all the time, but it's got to find it in you to keep pushing through it. Sounds like it's a practice. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today's guest is Andrew Castro. He's speaking about his experiences with anxiety and depression. He's recently written a book, Overcoming Your Anxiety for People on the Go. What are you hoping to achieve with this book? Well, first I wrote it, um, I think, a lot for myself, just like a therapeutic process. And um, I just want, yeah, if it can just help some people. I don't know how many that's going to be, if that's 100, I mean, 500. You know, as long as it helps some people, that's it's accomplished its goal. I just wanted to get out to people, and I want people to know that, that you don't have to uh, be like this forever. That's the thing that scares, I think, everybody. And... Still, I get that sometimes, like I'll get a little bit of anxiety and then, you know, those old thoughts will creep in and be like, oh, what if it's like this forever? 
But then I now I just know I'm like, oh, no, let's just give it about 30 minutes and you'll see it's, it's just going to fade away. And it usually does. Is this the book you would have wanted to read when you first uh, yes. realized that yeah. you were dealing with anxiety, that this is what it was? And did you seek any medical guidance or advice? Did you see uh, any professionals? Yeah. So this, um, I didn't know it, but this would have been the book, yeah, that I wanted to have read. And then I did, there was a book called At Last a Life uh, by Paul David. And um, my book is very much modeled like his, um, but just with my own experience. Yeah, that book was the book that I was like, that started me on getting uh, to my recovery. You don't know it at the time, you're just looking for anything. I started therapy when I was in seventh grade. I remember just being overwhelmed by a lot of things then. And I, I at that age, asked my parents to see a therapist. And uh, it was very benefit. I went to it for like 10, 12 years, you know, something like that. And then I stopped. And now now I see one um, uh, down the street from where I live in Sacramento every every few weeks or so. Just, you know, and sometimes I don't even necessarily need it, but to talk about it. And then as far as medication and stuff, for a couple months, I was on Xanax. But there was there's always something in me that didn't want to be a, like a slave to something. I think medication is great to help you get to where you want to go. But if you, I know a lot of people who take it just to get rid of their symptoms. I always try to like really walk the line here because medication is very beneficial uh, in the right circumstances, but it just, it can be a crutch and you sometimes never want to let go of the crutch. And a lot of people just take medication and just don't change anything in their lives. That's when you, uh, you don't go anywhere. You're just, you're basically um, just numbing, you're numbing yourself and which some people, you need it. At times, it's so overwhelming that you have to have it. But if you don't implement the other the other practices that'll actually change um, your whole perspective on what you're going through, then you're always going to need the medication. If you need medication, you should go to a professional and you should have a whole game plan and say, okay, well, I'm going to be on this specific medication for, we're going to be on it for four months. And at two and a half months, we're going to slowly wean off it. And while we're doing that, we're going to get deep therapy as to what's happening because what medication does, it, it can take the edge off to give you room to um, implement these things. Like sometimes people get so overwhelmed that they can't get their mind to accept what's happening because they're so overwhelmed. I've been a nervous flyer before too. Uh, still kind of am. And I've taken Xanax on a plane and it works. Like you get you get really, you know, kind of mellowed out and it gives you room to kind of organize yourself a little bit. But, you know, I always had the bottle, but it was almost like a comfort and I remember I'd go on trips and I'd always bring the bottle because I was like, just in case something gets overwhelmed, but I knew I wasn't going to take it. Like I just knew, but I knew if it was there and I had to or something, then I could. And then, but when I really started to notice I was getting better was, I do remember at that time I just had it and I was going on a trip and I just didn't bring it. And I was like, well, let's just see what happens. And then got through the trip and then you get confidence the more you do that. So that's what, for me, what it was, was I, I felt personally that I could get through it without using medication. Not everybody can. I don't know if everybody should try it either. You have a phrase in the book. Uh, you mentioned, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. Explain what you mean by this. I got into meditation like a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago. That quote there didn't mean anything to me a couple, two and a half years ago. But, you know, I read a lot of books on, um, especially on Buddhism and uh, Eastern philosophy and all that. And, uh, you know, my own personal perspective on it is they, they seem to have something right uh, on all that. And so what it is, what it means is that I have a section of the book called um, The Thought Factory. And so I say like your brain is like a factory and its main product that it produces and exports are thoughts. Assembly right? line. Assembly line and just thoughts. And they're just, 
that's all they are. And if you really want to get really deep into it, you're really not even necessarily thinking all those thoughts. They're just they're just taking in stuff and then, you know, smells will trigger a thought or a sight will trigger a thought or a person will trigger something that's just stored in your brain and just keeps getting sent up. And then there's a great line in a book, um, your mind directs your thoughts towards your awareness. So your awareness, you know, there's awareness, which we don't exactly know what it is, but there's this awareness and um, uh, your mind projects these thoughts and then they're, they're so real and sometimes overwhelming that we put all our energy and awareness into them. So you can take a thought like uh, if I'm getting on an airplane and before I get on it, I just picture it crashing and burning and I'm whatever. And, but that's not happening. That's not a real thing. That's hard for people to understand though, but like to not believe that is, that's reality. That thought is happening right now. But you are projecting yourself into the airplane crashing and you're making yourself get all worried, but you're just sitting in the airport doing nothing. So it's, it's just a false, it's just false. Having the space to ask yourself in the moment, is this true? Right. Yeah. Especially during meditation, you, you can see thoughts just, they just pass. They kind of float and then they burn out. That's a big thing with people in meditation is they think they're not supposed to think. Like, oh, I couldn't stop thinking. It's like, well, you'd probably be dead if you weren't thinking. A big thing that helped me was, um, so your heart, it, its function is to pump blood to the body. Uh, your liver, you know, detoxifies and uh, your digestive system digests your food. Uh, your eyes see, your ears hear, and your mind thinks. It's just a function of your body, and that's what it does. It thinks and you can attach your awareness to certain things to problem solve and do all this stuff. But if you attach your energy and awareness to every thought you have, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. And, um, and that's what happened to me. I would have negative, scary thoughts, but I would believe them so much because they were in my head. So I was like, they have to be true, man. You have thousands of thoughts all the time. Like if those are all true, the, the world will be a really weird place. You don't have to believe any of it. You can just choose what you want to, put your energy into and believe and go from there. But meditation really helped me with that. There was a monk, he said, don't believe your thoughts, they're fake news, which I thought was great, especially for the, you know, the time. Yeah. It's the beginning of the new year and people may be setting intentions. Can you share a nugget of how listeners can change their habits or make a change around this? Yeah, I think doing one little thing differently is a start. When I was younger, I used to have bad OCD and I did a bunch of different things before I went to bed. Like, it took me a long time before I could go to sleep because I had to check the blinds, I checked the locks, I did this. You know, one night, I just decided to eliminate one thing, you know, one little thing. Like, tonight, I'm not going to do that. And it was hard. I'm not going to do that one thing. And then I did all the other things. But, and then once I didn't do that one thing, I mean, I'll try and take it. So I think for people, you know, the new year, I think if you have 10, you know, really crappy habits that you know are just, this, these aren't doing me any good, get rid of one and go from there. Because the biggest thing is um, gaining confidence. And they talk about that a lot in, in Buddhism too. Um, it's faith in the things you've done give you the confidence and the faith in yourself to keep going kind of thing. And any faith is great, but that for me was a big thing because so when people eliminate one little habit, like for a New Year's resolution, and they see that after a few weeks that, oh, well, that habit's kind of gone or it's changed, then they start to go, well, I could probably do that with another habit. And then you could slowly start to do that. And that changes your perspective on on things because humans we are our habits if you consciously go through your day you'll probably notice 50 things that you do every day almost the same way and if a lot of those things are negative you're inflicting harm on yourself through some of those habits then it's just going to keep building and that's when you're going to have a lot of stress and uh, anxiety and depression and you know all that stuff because you're 
like watering those seeds. So that's what's going to that's what's going to grow. Can you read some passages for our listeners? Sure. So I really like this one here. This is something I like to talk about with people, um, but it's hard for people to hear this. I'll read it and then I'll explain it. It says, the universe doesn't owe you anything. The sooner you realize that things are just the way they are, and sometimes they are crappy, the sooner you will learn to accept your situation. From that point on, you can then decide who you want to be and how you want to get there. It's all up to you. But please realize your anxiety is not special. I've been so lost in my own anxiety that I didn't even realize close friends around me were suffering from the same thing and vice versa. We are all in this together. We all share some form of suffering. The quicker we can all realize that suffering is a part of life, the quicker we can master our response to that suffering. Basically, a much more gentle way of putting it is you are not alone. Okay, so I like this one's in the afterword, and it says, uh, Anxiety is not something you need to carry with you the rest of your life. At least you don't have to carry it the same way you have been carrying it. I hate when people tell me to manage my anxiety. The only thing I'm going to manage is keeping myself on task and dedicated to eradicating old habits to shift my perspective on life. We got ourselves into this mess, so we can definitely get ourselves out. So I like those because especially the first one, there was a friend of mine who was going through the same, the same thing, and I didn't even know that because you're so caught up in, oh, this is my problem, and no one's feeling the way I'm feeling. But there, there are millions of people feeling not only the way you're feeling, but exactly the way you're feeling. This isn't something that's unique to me. It's like I, I'm the only one who has this disease or something. Like it's not a disease. It's just, you know, it's a psychological disorder and millions of people have it. And um, there was something I learned from um, Will Smith, the actor, and he said he was using a bunch of examples. But one was like if you were um, abused when you were a kid, which is awful, and you have trauma from it, it's terrible. And it's, it's a weird thing to hear because I'm not saying anything negative, but it's, it's still that person's responsibility to fix and to deal with what's happening because no one else can deal with it for them. People can help them and support them. But same with like if you have a death in the family, you still have the things that are left inside you that you have to learn to accept and be responsible for. Healing yourself. Healing yourself. And you need, you need support. You need people around you. But in the end, if, if you can't make the decision, the, the universe doesn't know anything. It's just basically... Um, you have to take the initiative to do it. What I've gone through is very minimal compared to somebody who's like lost a parent when they're young or, you know, is living in some country that's torn apart by war. My problems are, they're small comparatively, but I still need, I need to sit down and go, these are my problems. I have to fix them. And if you want other people to fix them for you, it's never going to happen. I wrote an article for this local um, online publication in Sacramento. And I said that I'm the one who built my life. So if I built it, I can tear it down and I can rebuild it kind of thing. And obviously, sometimes genetically, you're more prone to things. But that, that doesn't mean that that has to be you forever or whatever. It just means you have to work a little harder rebuilding it. My choices and my habits built this building of anxiety so I can, I can knock it down and I can build a new building next to it or far away or whatever, you know. What you're going through is not special. It's very common. And that's that's a good thing. I'm not trying to be you know, mean about it. Like it's just it's not special. Like I had a, um, somebody call me once. They were going through a really tough time. They were asking me how do I get rid of these feelings right now, and I just told them you can't. And that's hard for them to hear. And it was somebody close to me, so I was like, to realize you can't get rid of them, it actually frees you from fighting them. And so, so it's part of the human condition. Yeah, that's like when we were talking about Buddhism. That we, we suffer because there's loss, there's disease, there's pain, there's all this stuff, and you're never gonna be able to get rid of those things. You've got to learn to deal with those things. How has anxiety or living with anxiety impacted you as a musician and as a performer? I started playing, writing songs maybe like nine years ago. And I love doing it so much that I wanted it to be my career. But 
it's not a very easy thing to make into a career. So it caused um, for me a lot of stress because I just felt I wasn't made to have like a um, what you call a normal job, I guess. You know, you go to the office or you go to work or you, whatever. And But then I had this thing that I love to do that I was getting better at, but it doesn't make me any money. And money is a big stress builder. Uh, it's one of the biggest things that people have regrets about or, you know, are worried about in the future. And it causes a lot. And that caused me a lot of anxiety because I wanted to do this thing, but um, I couldn't make money at it. Then I moved to Sacramento because it was a smaller area. And I really networked and, and I made it my profession. And then I toured. It's a very uh, exciting thing. It's an exciting way to make a living, but it's very draining because you play shows sometimes with two people when you leave town uh, or, or you're playing some restaurant or bar and no one's paying attention or you have 10 shows booked in February and then four people call you and cancel them and you just lost like $1,000. It's uh, the unknown. It caused me a lot of anxiety and stress. And so when I started writing this book, I took a break from music till about just a couple of weeks ago. And I started writing again. Uh, and I took like six months, seven months of just no, no writing, no recording and again changed my whole perspective on music so before I was chasing it like I wanted to be a star and be on stage and play my music and uh, it was like getting competitive and it was stressing me out and so then I just now I don't not that I don't care I don't want those things but I just don't I don't put my energy into them go about it a different way I want to write the songs I want to write and play them if people like them great if they don't no, that's, that's it did your anxiety ever prevent you from getting on a plane to go to a show or from going on stage no you know um i just have a weird way of doing things i can't remember a time where i was just really terrified and didn't do it i used to have to get drunk to get on the plane that's how i used to do it then no matter what time if the flight was at 7 a.m i got there I, <laughs> it was bad um but that's how i had to get on the plane because i was just you know um uh, and then uh, that i've changed this now i don't i don't do that um the stage fright I definitely had it I remember going to open mics out when I lived out here I'd go to ones all around uh, Berkeley and San Francisco and I'd sign up I go okay I'm fifth so I have about like 45 minutes or an hour so I go sit in my car and I practice my songs over and over like two songs that's all you get and I'm like in there for like an hour practicing and I get really nervous but then once I get on stage there's no nerves and so I started to realize that and I had a big show out here at, in San Francisco at the Independent, and I was opening for this guy, and it was, like, sold out. No one knew who I was, and I was so nervous, like, so much adrenaline because, you know, there's 500 people out there, and I was like, and I'm solo act, uh, or I was. I'm going to get a band now, so I was just by myself all the time. So I was just backstage. My friend came, and I was just jumping up and down trying to just shake stuff out because I was just, like, really amped up and I'm going to forget the lyrics. I'm going to forget the melody. I'm going to forget all this. And then I just uh, got up there, and the crowd just started cheering and screaming like I was the headliner. I'm like, all right, this is cool. And then I just started playing, and everything was fine. So the anxiety has never um, prevented me from doing anything. Even when I was at my worst, I knew uh, if I didn't do it, then it'd be easier to not do it the next time, too. Same with flying. I love to travel. The one time I don't get on a plane, it's going to be easier to not get on the plane the next time. You know, the fear will just build and take over and it'll become easy not to do it so has writing this book helped you in your musical path yeah um it definitely has because at the time i wrote this book it made me take a break from music which i never did people would tell me this so this isn't me saying like oh you're the hardest working musician now you're it's inspiring because i would just go to every open mic play every show i released four eps within like a 12 month span and then an album and i just wouldn't stop and then then i took a break changed my perspective kind of like what what's in the book i just changed my whole perspective on it and then uh my writing now is um different than it was before uh, i think before i was trying to be something i wasn't my first musical loves were like tom petty and um, bob dylan and bruce springsteen all those i want to go back to writing those songs get a band and write like some pop rock stuff like that i really want to do and so that's what i'm doing now and it's so it's 
I'm learning more to just be myself. Andrew, what does the future hold for you in terms of next steps? I'm going to start a podcast. So that's in the next, hopefully in January. I want to talk a lot about the content in the book and just even it's going to be hopefully like bi-weekly and it'll even talk about the current state of the world because that causes a lot of people anxiety right now. Uh, I'd like to get into talks too in in front of groups, uh, especially places like here, like colleges with the younger people that are at that point where these kind of things can really creep up on them. And then music. For me, I'm going to start a band, and I'm going to go back in the studio hopefully this week with some new songs and try a whole different approach to it. So, um, kind oh, of, sounds exciting. Yeah, it should be, hopefully. And where can our listeners get more information and find your book? Yeah, so the easiest way to find it is uh, just Amazon. You search, uh, you can probably just search Andrew Castro, but or the title of the book is Overcoming Your Anxiety for People on the Go. There's a Kindle version, and there's the paperback. I have a website. But I'm waiting until I get the podcast going and everything before I start directing people to that. So for right now, everything's going through Amazon. Any parting words for listeners who may be anxious but struggling to name it? Yeah, I would say one is to educate yourself. There's this book of mine, uh, there's At Last of Life by Paul David. There's a book called Dare by Barry McDonough. Those are three, including mine, three good books that you can go and it, it, those will help you and, and um, be patient. You're going to feel good when you're reading the book. You're like, oh, you know, and that's going to go away. And you're going to go back to the way you felt. Never put a time limit on your recovery. You go into it with a a full dedication and trusting the process. You're going to have setbacks, big ones. If you're having a setback, that means that before the setback, you were doing better. Educate yourself, be patient, um, and you're not alone. I mean, there's probably hundreds of millions of people that are going through some sort of anxiety disorder at some point in their life. If you're not patient you're going to drive yourself into the ground. And if you don't educate yourself, you're not going to understand that what you have is pretty common and it's it's fixable. And then if you don't understand, you're not alone and you're always going to feel isolated. So I think those three things are, are good to take with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today's producer was Oji Guretzian. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll see you again in two weeks.